This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to the Pacing Outside the Waiting Room edition of Romaniacs. Boris Johnson sets a world record for getting your homework in late. The EU floats the idea of another summit meeting after this one, and absolutely nobody knows what's going to happen. Meanwhile, Britain is preparing for what should be the biggest anti-Brexit march yet. The People's Vote March takes place in London this Saturday 19th of October, the very same day that Parliament is sitting, supposedly, to debate on the deal that Johnson hasn't yet produced. Romaniacs will be there, meeting in the usual place, the corner of Curzon Street and Park Lane from 12 noon, so we'll see you there. Bring everyone. I'm Ross Taylor, and I've got a couple of regulars here to help us stare into the Brexit mystery vortex. Ian Dunt edits politics.co.uk. He's finishing his book, How to Be a Liberal. Hmm, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, and this week he's been hiding from the miseries of Brexit by watching Joker. <laughs> A cautionary tale in which a narcissistic sociopath with weird floppy hair who thinks he's a lot funnier than he really is unleashes chaos and anarchy on his community and thinks it's all hilarious. Hello, Ian. <laughs> hello, hello. Brexit Britain, Gotham City, same thing, right? Yeah, pretty much. It doesn't. It feels. It feels alarmingly similar at the moment. Did you enjoy reporting on what you called um, the first mythical Queen speech? <laughs> Oh, fuck no, that was so depressing. Because what was depressing about it was that you, as you report on it, and not, not just when you write about it, but when you when you sort of do TV stuff or whatever, it has to be treated like a normal Queen's speech. Like, so what was in the bills? So, you know, what, what what was going on with health? And you're like, no, no, like to even give it that is to play his fucking game. You know, to, to even go into the content of which, frankly, doesn't really stand as much scrutiny anyway, is to do what he wants. Is all he's really doing is putting like all of the fucking pomp and British constitutional trappings he can on what is a fucking press release. And yet, I can't believe that was only two days ago, by the way. It feels like it was about 10 years ago. <laughs> and yet, but on Monday, that's what you have to do the whole way through. So, I mean, that was a really, really fucking depressing day, which has been matched only by the days which have followed it. Right. Um, how did the Queen look? Uh, she uh, It was hard as ever to gauge her expression, but she seems to get progressively more miserable each year, as far as I can see. I think it's that... It's that... So the thing is that where you just sort of project onto her what you're thinking. So I kept on just projecting this raised eyebrow. It, it did seem to me <laughs> like she was more pissy reading it out than she usually is. But I think that is just me. And so that is, you know, the genius of how she presents herself. Of, you know, when or you maybe she had constipation. She's like a hundred. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Presumably that is a recurring Maybe theme. not what enough happened? figs that morning or something. But yeah, I mean, she did seem she did seem super busy. But I do think that, that is, that's just me wanting it to be the case. I'm just desperate for the moment that she just stands up and goes, you know what, like, fuck this shit. You are just fucking me around now. And I refuse to put up with it any longer. But alas, she did not. Also with us is Alex Andreu, political commentator, cook and actor, currently on tour in Mozart's Seraglio. 
Alex has been all over Britain with this excellent production, and on Friday he'll be introducing Durham to his Pasha Salim. Hello, Alex. <laughs> that sounds so dirty. <laughs> Hello, Durham. Here's my what Pasha. It is, from, from what I hear in the production. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm all right. I've got the flu, so I must apologise to listeners for intermittent nose blowing and light sneezing that may be caught on microphone. Um, that's Dominic Cummings' country, Durham. Uh, do you think he'll turn up and shout, get Brexit done? Oh, please TV? let him. <laughs> <laughs> and how would have a Pasha Salim deal with Cummings? Um, I end one scene with the line, follow me, Osmin, I will give you instructions for his torture. <laughs> so it's an actual line from the thing. <laughs> You enjoyed the state opening of Parliament too. Um, do, you, do you think our pomp and circumstance and frilly hat style approach is going to go and survive Brexit? Does it look a bit silly now? Look, I have. I was going to say I have nothing against it, but actually I do. I have plenty against it. Um, I think part of the political problems we have is because of the lack of modernization in the actual furniture. I mean that really sincerely. I'm not being facetious. I think setting up, uh, you know, uh, the opposing sides actually sitting opposite each other in a chamber with no electronic means of voting, which means they have to get up and trundle to division rooms makes everything take hours longer and I think it contributes to an adversarial uh, climate. Having said that, I don't mind if once a year there's a little bit of silliness going on. I mean, I'm Greek, you know, have you seen the soldiers outside our parliament? Um, But on this occasion, it did feel ridiculous because with two weeks to go (laughs) to actual doom for us to stop and suddenly put on a fucking Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, (laughs) it just seemed (laughs) ludicrous. (laughs) Our special guest this week is writer and broadcaster Mike Butcher editor-at-large of the tech and media news source TechCrunch. He's regularly named as one of the most influential people in European tech. And he's also founder of the grassroots pro-final say movement, Tech for UK, which acts as a nexus for anti-Brexit forces in the tech world, and it builds online tools for anti-Brexit campaigners. Tech for UK is behind many of those automated campaigning sites that you'll have seen, like Stop the Coup, which helped organise anti-prorogation protests, and My EU, which shows you how the EU is invested in your in your area. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Romaniacs. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Lovely to have you too. You're a mover and shaker in the <laughs> London technology scene, <laughs> and you're, you're not having an affair with Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, there was quite a queue around the block, to be honest with you, um, around about 2013, and uh, uh, the pole dancing, uh, you wouldn't believe it. It was amazing. Yeah, did you actually, did you go into the flat and see the pole at all? I think, I think it, uh, uh, obviously, like Jennifer Akuri, I refused to answer in, in case that answer was <laughs> So we know what the answer is. Can I only say that uh, you know, if you were, it's a bit like the '60s. If you were there, if you don't, if you remember it, you weren't there. (laughs) Right. Um, We'll talk about Tech for UK in detail later. But what is it, and how does it work briefly? Well, um, the technology industry and tech geeks and engineers, developers, designers. Um, 
all of the polling in the industry for a couple of years, well, for the months, shall we say, before the referendum, were that people wanted to stay in the EU, and it's an incredibly international industry, something like uh, something like a third uh, of um, most tech startups and contain people from international you know, for international people and, and huge numbers from the EU for, for obvious reasons. And um, and official bodies like, oddly enough, Tech UK were si- simply standing on the fence like a lot of business organisations. And so we thought, you know, we slightly trolled them and we'd made Tech for UK because we wanted to to, to say that there really was a tech industry movement in favour of, of the EU. Um, and, and also to not just to sort of say that, but also to build tech tools as well. It's been a big couple of weeks in social media. Um, Facebook effectively washed their hands of responsibility for truth in political advertising. Um, it seems like a very bad look for a platform that already has serious trust issues, doesn't it? Yeah, um, Facebook has enormous issues. We we're pretty aware of that following the revelations about things like Cambridge Analytica. Um, um, and it's, it's very tough. Um, I think to some extent, uh, if you want to sort of say that there's something positive is that on our side the organic nature of Facebook groups especially um, you know pro-EU groups is very powerful because you can't as much advertising as you want to buy you can't buy those thousands of people in those groups um, active you know activating and doing things like getting out on the street etc but it can work the other way as well can't it uh, so we'll talk about that later absolutely yeah yeah uh, we'll get into the knife-edge state of the Brexit non-negotiations later and what, if anything, we can expect in Parliament on Saturday. Plus, how are you holding up? For even the most dedicated Romaniacs, it's been a tough month or two. We'll talk about how Remainers are keeping their heads while all about are losing theirs. All that and more after some reminders from Alex. We're very excited to announce that our special guest for Romaniacs Live in Manchester on Saturday, 2nd of November, will be the great Rob Ford, Professor of Politics at the University of Manchester and one of the most lucid and fascinating voices on the whole Brexit mess. Rob will be joining Ian, Roz and Dorian Linsky for a 2pm grand matinee show at the Lowry Theatre on Salford Quays. Yes, yes, we know Salford is not, strictly speaking, Manchester, but allow us a little (laughs) geographical (laughs) licence. On the first weekend after we supposedly leave the European Union, if we leave the European Union, tickets are selling fast, so get yours now at thelowry.com. Of course, our Patreon backers still get discounts as well as mugs, T-shirts and early access to the podcast, so check your Patreon homepage to find out more. Meanwhile, our own Naomi Smith is off to the EU summit in Brussels today with a cross-party delegation of MPs led by Dominic Grieve and David Lamy. They're joining Remainer now and pro-Europa to show our European partners that Britain has changed its mind. Boris Johnson doesn't speak for Britain and will use any extension, well, to get either another vote or a general election. You can help. Naomi has asked us to remind all listeners to write to your MPs yet again to tell them to back a final say. Go to bestforbritain.org forward slash write. It doesn't matter if you've written to them before. The levers are out in force and MPs need to hear from us again and again. Go to bestforbritain.org forward slash write. And we'll see you at Romaniacs Live at the Lowry Manchester at 2pm on Saturday the 2nd of November. Very excited about that. So, here we go again. 15 days to go at the time we're recording this. Nothing concrete on the table yet. And Boris Johnson has scheduled a Saturday session for Parliament, even though nobody has any idea of what they're supposed to be talking about. Although, 
Maybe they'll be talking about Northern Ireland. Ian, we keep being told a deal is in sight because Boris Johnson has made major concessions. Is is that right? Fuck knows. Um, so, I mean, first, pile on all the salt onto everything that I say, and I think basically everything that anyone says throughout the next hour, because we, we just don't know. It's very likely... That Not me, I'm going to be bang on. Especially, Thank Alex, you. you get double <laughs> helping of salt. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, there's a very good chance that it will be sort of proven wrong, but literally by the time you're hearing this, blah, 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 blah. And we've had two or three days now of something going on, things going forwards and backwards, especially people with different sources in different places coming to different responses, because, of course, there's sort of various centres of power, This even within Europe, let alone, you know, when you start to consider what's happening in the UK as well. And obviously in the UK Parliament, then you have, you know, the Labour guys, and you have the DUP, and you have the ERG, and even on that basis, you've got different people talking in different ways. Something is clearly happening. If I had to put money on something, I would say that he will come back with some sort of piece of paper shortly. I don't think <laughs> that is a deal, because it is not going to be a legal treaty. It's not going to have the details in it. And this is the crux of the whole thing, that the details won't be in it, because really, ultimately, it's in the details that this thing will die. But I, I think it's quite likely now that they do come back with head of terms, which is going to be a pretty broad outline of where they want to go, with a, you know, a surface level of detail, and that probably... It's it's likely that the EU and the UK will want to have some sort of indicative vote process on that on Saturday. Now, that would not, if this is what happens, that would not be signing the withdrawal agreement because the withdrawal agreement would not exist. The legal document would not exist. What it would do would be to try and create a sort of sense of moral force around an acceptance. If you remember the way they talked about, oh, what the, what the, that, that man that looks like he's like a human version of like personification of nostril hair. Uh, the Brady Amendment. Do you remember, like, the Brady Amendment? Like, and, like, when that came out, the way people acted about it was like it was fucking like Moses had just come down from, from the mountain with some great new way forward. I think that they'll do that. They would then extend, very short extension, and they would try to do the details on the other side of that. That is my guess of how this will go, but I am almost certainly wrong. Everything right now is very, very much up in the air. So I know it's difficult and it's up in the air, but it's really a numbers game, isn't it? It's whether the DUP come on board, and we're hearing today, we heard rumours today that they had come on board with this deal, and then Arlene Foster said the sources were talking nonsense. Sorry, I can't do a Northern Irish accent. Um, and, <laughs> Where's um, Naomi when we need her? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's unclear whether they or all of them are on board, um, and it comes down as well to whether people like Dominic Grieve end up voting for this deal and come back into the fold or whether they won't and 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 of course Labour MPs as well. I don't think Dominic Reeve will. Um I I don't think most Labour MPs will, apart from the obvious sort of John Mann and then blah blah blah. So you have two or three, but I think the rest of them I think you've got pretty clear stuff from Kinnock going, look, level playing field is one of our preconditions. You know, when we said we were going to do a deal, it was May plus the the, the stuff she offered us ahead of yeah, the yeah, third yeah. term. So that's well away, much higher up from what we're talking about here. Um, the crucial part is is the ERG and the DUP on that. And then, yeah, those purge Tories. Like, what is their state of play right now? Are these guys that will basically... And it's consistent. I wouldn't hold that against them. Yeah, yeah. Many of them have said, I will support any deal. Are they really going to support any deal that is put in front of them? Or will some of them actually look at what's going on here and go, no, that that is not enough for us to be going on right now. These are not the terms that you laid out. And would some of them still cling to the things where, oh, I don't know, Boris Johnson said, oh, I don't know, a few months ago, saying, well, this is like an annexation. This is, you know, yeah, yeah. carving up our own country. So those guys are the guys that are in play, basically, ERG, DUP, 
purge Tories. That seems to me where the action is. I'm not too concerned about... Certainly, I don't think Dominic Grieve is a risk, and I don't think those Labour MPs are too much of a risk. Once again, as with everything, could well be fucking... Sure. May, may I say something, just sorry to go off script slightly. It's important to note that, that it's not an addition game. It's a game of sequential tiles falling because a lot of people are doing this guesswork of trying to speculate how many Labour MPs plus how many DUP plus how many of the 21 who've been kicked out, etc. That's not how it works because Labour MPs on the whole, except the few, a handful of real nutbags, they won't break cover unless they're assured that their sacrifice will be meaningful. So they're not going to piss off the rest of the party and risk losing the whip to vote for something that doesn't go through anyway. And so unless you get the DUP and the ERG people fully on board, you can forget about any Labour votes. That's a given. They're just not going to break for it. Because, of course, the proposals that Johnson's putting forward are actually a lot worse than May's deal. And this is something that, that we've heard a lot more about uh, this week. UK in a Changing Europe put out a report saying that his proposals would reduce income by £2,000 per person compared with staying in the EU, while Theresa May's would reduce it by... Only fifteen hundred pounds per person, but that's a that's a big difference. It's a worse it's a worse um, deal, and it also takes the axe to various working and environmental rights, and it, it leaves yeah, free yeah. to opt out of those, doesn't it, Alex? And um, it creates a really powerful argument for Scotland. I think a lot of people are missing this. Scotland will be completely justified in turning around and say, which Nicola Sturgeon pretty much said yesterday. Hold on. England voted to leave, Wales voted to leave, so they're leaving, Northern Ireland voted to remain, so they're getting special treatment, and the only part of the UK that's being completely ignored is Scotland. Mm. Mm. If you can make special dispensation and create a special arrangement for Northern Ireland to stay partly within the single market and the customs union, why can't you do the same for Scotland, who voted in even stronger terms to remain? And they will have an excellent point that's impossible to battle rationally. Yeah, I've, if I was Scottish, I'd be absolutely... I mean, I'm furious. I'd furious? Be, I'd, be even, <laughs> I'd be even more furious if I was Scottish. Um, so it's looking like Johnson will have to ask for some sort of short extension, having sworn he wouldn't. You know, it was 31, 31st of October, do or die in a pinch, yeah. whatever. Um, what are the political <laughs> consequences for him if, if that happens? Do you think he can get away with it? Um, I think he can get away with it with some people. He will lose a few people. Um, it will be used against him. I think ultimately if it's a short extension and we go to election after he has delivered Brexit, it won't matter. If it's a longer extension and we go to election before he's delivered Brexit, it will be a massive stick with which to beat him throughout the electoral process. And will he then have to run on a no-deal platform, basically? Um, because there are a lot of Tory MPs who still won't, won't back that. No, I don't think he will. I think he will still be trying to triangulate because I think ultimately he doesn't want to deliver no deal. Well, no, I mean, that's what we know now, right? I mean, look at look at him this week. Oh, yeah. This was the week. This is where you see it. If he was going to go for no deal, he wouldn't be fucking right now talking about a Northern Ireland only customs union. He is in this thing because he clearly that does not look like a tenable option right now. And actually, this is the crunch, right? So 
Look, at the moment, I, things aren't looking great right now. I'm, I'm more nervous now than I have been for some... Certainly, I, have, I haven't been this nervous since the third time that May went for her deal. And do you remember that morning? There was a real, like, throb of momentum towards yeah. it. And you were like, oh, fuck me. This could, this could get really sketchy. And I'm about... You know, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm in that sort of emotional territory. Um, however, there is another way that this goes, which is that he is now getting tangled up in the nitty-gritty machine of fucking Brexit that will just eat up all your rhetoric and turn it into the most untenable compromise yeah, yeah. that you have for all these sides. So this is... If it flips the other way for us, it's him. It's him getting mangled up in the machine I mean, in a way that could be very positive. It's very different circumstances, but it is precisely the situation Tsipras found himself in after Greece voted in that referendum to reject the European deal. And then suddenly he found he, he was saying, I'm going to rip it up. And then suddenly he finds himself in office having to make the actual decisions and finding that he has to compromise, he has to negotiate. So I think that's, that's the crux for... They do say reading the briefings changes you. And I think that's very much the case. It's all very well to swing your cock when you're not in 10 Downing Street. But once you're in there and you're given the briefing by the Secret Service that says, if you do X, then Y might happen, can you sign your name to it? That's a really difficult position to be in. Yeah, and we know that power is what matters to Johnson yeah. more than anything else. Oh, sure. As a non-specialist observer, can he help often how much can he can it continue to blame the blame the EU? Oh, fucking indefinitely. But it does make it harder, I suppose, once you've gone in to talk to them. It makes that message a more difficult one to transmit because you are now dealing on their terms. You're you're tacitly by doing this giving up on the idea that they are trying to stop Brexit, that they're trying to undermine the will of the people and all of that, because you have decided to engage on their terms. Yep. So it is harder to go back to that original position. And he will, I mean, if this thing falls apart, he will eventually have to go back to that more Cummings-tinged approach towards this whole thing. But it will be harder for him to deliver that message once he's gone through this process. So now that it's going there, now that it's going to this place, he <coughs> needs it to win. And that then describes why he is behaving the way that he is. He's keeping the details away as much as possible. Most of these guys that are going into Downing Street yeah, yeah. are not seeing any of the details. They're basically being given assurances by him and money. These are the things that they're being given. Trust me, trust me on Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah. You might think, well, we'll have the Brexit, but you know me, I'm not Theresa May. I'll make sure that we're further away at the end of the whole thing. And then for the DUP, just take the fucking money. Take the fucking money. And on that basis, I think he thinks that this could be the moment for him to do it. Because if he doesn't, he is in a bit, he's in a fucking spot of bother. And, and I think it's also worth pointing out that this is the high point for his vote count. When the deal exists in theory, but no one has seen the detail. Mm -hmm. Because that allows him to spin it differently to each group. He can say to the ERGers, it's really hard Brexit. He can say to the DUP, no, 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 I've looked after you. He can say to moderate Labour people, no, no. I'm... Once the text actually lands and people look at the detail, that vote count will not go up. It will only go down because people will have specific objections to specific stuff that's in the deal. So this is his high watermark. It's all downhill from and that's why it's dangerous what's happened what the ideas that are being suggested now that's why they're so dangerous yeah because now it's okay well we might have a vote without the detail and then that gives them this lock this statement of like look there's the common support and then at that point we reset on from a remain point of view our fight for the next few months but from a worse position than we're in right now so we then conduct essentially a guerrilla war of oh. each new bit of detail you go to the you know you're going to the dp look at what that involves look at what that involves and try to chisel away but they will have that statement of consent 
based entirely, as you say, on the fact that there is no detail to cling to throughout the process. Just two observations on that. The first one, again, to put the point across that as a EU27 citizen in the UK, the choice between a second referendum and a deal or remain and a deal yeah, is right. not worse for me than no deal versus deal, mm-hmm. which one of which is positively catastrophic to my citizenship rights. So for me, the situation has improved. The second thing to point out is that it also allows the possibility for Remainers to attach a ratification referendum to it to say, okay, you haven't given us the detail, you're asking us to approve it on principle, we will approve it on principle, provided that you give people the final say. That's good. I don't, I don't think we have the numbers for it, but I hope they do. But, but it allows a possibility. We fight on, we fight to win. Um, one provision that stood out from the Queen's speech, despite all the nonsensical guff, was the so-called Electoral Integrity Bill, um, and that would mean that you had to show photo ID in order to vote. Um, and a lot of people pointed out that this was a bit dodgy, really, because a large number of people don't even have photo ID. Mm. And effectively, it's a voter, voter suppression tactic, um, akin to what we see in, in America. Um, Ian, does Britain actually have a problem with illegal voting? No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I think there was... One instance of this last year. I mean, there's basically, and I've, you know, they've done tests and tests and tests. They've done as much research as you like. We, we do not have a problem with this issue. So then you have to ask, why is it that we're doing it? Because, I mean, unless anyone didn't notice, you know, politics is quite distracted by this thing called Brexit. So when you do something else outside of that area, you really have to have a reason for doing it, right? Mm. And in this case, we know the people that are affected. We know overwhelmingly that ethnic minorities are more likely to be affected by it. They're less likely to have available forms of ID, that young people are less likely to access those free forms of ID that are being offered because the more obstacles you put in front of their way, the more it doesn't go that way. And this works for the Tories. It's funny how when this stuff comes up, it always works for the party that happens to be in government at the time that Mm. they do it. Like constantly, the, the direction is the wrong way. The direction should be towards encouraging voting. And anything that goes in the other direction you need a pretty damn good reason for why you're doing it and on this there's absolutely no data to suggest that they have it it's of a piece isn't it with jacob rees-mogg saying this week that he was uh, minded to uh, consider limiting the speaker's powers i wonder mm-hmm. why yes yeah. you could possibly dream <laughs> uh mike what's your what's your view on this is is paper and post-based voting is it more or less easily fixed than american voting machines um, American voting machines are notoriously bad and have been proven at time and time again at hacker conferences like DEFCON, uh, which to to be you know insecure. Um, the, the latest DEFCON in Vegas was uh, they hacked into it in thirty seconds. Um, and so, <laughs> oh, and I think the, I think the person who did it was a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> well, of uh, course, of course. So, so um, yes, paper voting is better, more secure. Uh, unless, of course, you're in Russia where they they have video of people stuffing those ballots. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely agree with Ian that uh, this this is absolutely voter suppression because people just don't have these forms of voter of, of ID uh, nearly as readily as. Uh, in also, our tradition, remember, in, in the UK was not to have ID cards. The continental European tradition was to have ID cards for various historical reasons. So it just doesn't ha- exist here as a culture. It was a big fight, wasn't it? In the, I remember about 10, 15 years ago, there yeah, was yeah. a huge amount of opposition to David Blunkett's plan for ID cards. And it, uh, it, it seemed to work because we didn't get them. Oddly <laughs> enough, in a way, 
in a way, we if I suppose there's arguments to say that if we if there had that had worked, or have we had instituted those um, ID cards as a system of ID cards in the UK, then the issue, lots of the issues about Brexit wouldn't really have happened because you know the the things about you know controlling immigration or whatever we could have done that. We could yeah, have yeah. that inside the EU. Hello. I, mean, I think we could do that anyway. I, I know anyway. that it is, yeah. it is popular. We don't need, we don't need ID cards. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can just put in the controls. You know. Sure. Now, things have been pretty tough on Remainers in the past few weeks. We've had our victories, like the Supreme Court killing off Johnson's attempt to silence Parliament, and then the Ben Act. We're the ones who kept Britain in the EU. But the unelected <laughs> PM is still there, embarrassing everyone. The Brexit press and bonehead MPs keep banging on about the same old points like it's still 2016. And the sheer nastiness of the Leave Hardcore never updates. Sometimes it all gets a bit much. But the march this weekend should be a massive morale booster and we asked our Twitter followers what keeps their spirits up. Among the answers were... Going on Brexit or Twitter polls and skewing the results, said Sarah Haslam. (laughs) (laughs) Playing which country should we move to? Emma, FPL. (laughs) Ian, which country would you move to? (laughs) Or do you just love love Britain so much that... I would, yeah. I mean, you know my views on this, so I refuse to leave London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it kind of doesn't really work for me. Okay, Alex, would you, I suppose you'd go back to Greece or would you... No, um, I think my, my backup plan is either Dublin or Montreal. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I like Montreal. Yeah, me too. I, Anyone it's, that's like it seems and to gravy have... as their national well, dish is all right by me. Yeah, yeah, I love a bit of poutine, but um, also it just seems to combine the best of North American and mm. European yes, yes. in a really strange way. And also, you know, they quite like migrants because they're pretty empty country. There I remember are... my friend coming out of a bar like when we first went there and he came out and he's like, they're like French people but nice. <laughs> <laughs> there are like islands of Nova Scotia where the Canadian government will actually pay you money to immigrate there. Oh. <laughs> and there was lots of Star Trek watching and Deep Space Nine <laughs> and quite a lot of people cited daytime drinking and illegal drugs which we do not endorse. No. I, I do. <laughs> nothing to object to there whatsoever (laughs) Alex do you ever struggle with your morale and what do you do to to keep your spirits up Um, not to award Dunt any sort of sage status (laughs) but actually something he said a few months ago I do keep coming back to it which is the idea of holding on (laughs) to objective reality and that that is the thing that pulls me out every time the idea of let's ignore the buzz, like with this like numbers game, you know, this deal, how many people will vote for it. You ignore the buzz and you go back to what you objectively know to be true, which is X, Y, Z, and that always calms me down. It's my sort of meditation. And Meditation. Yeah. <laughs> that does not sound like an effective mechanism. <laughs> meditation. <Doesn't> no. <laughs> And well, it is for me. Can you get it on the NHS? <laughs> <laughs> and trying to remember that it's important, the Brexit, it's incredibly important, but it isn't everything as well. Yeah. Trying it, to get the sense of, trying to remind yourself that there are people all around you who don't actually care as much about Brexit as you do. I, I try to do that sometimes. Oh, God, every time I step out of this professional bubble and go to my other professional bubble when I work, with loads of musicians and actors and techies, and they all ask me, what's going on? 
<laughs> genuinely, you know, they don't keep up with a day-to-day minutia of what's going on. They think if something really big happens, we'll know about it. Mike, how about you? What do you do to keep uh, your morale up? I agree with Alex, you know, hold on to the objective reality, but also I think that um, I'm going to be maybe slightly controversial sitting in Romaniacs, but talking about Romain in a way is is great, and, and I think a lot of people want, want that to happen, but also let's talk about, like, the things that really matter, schools, hospitals, jobs, hmm. you know, th- those are the things that uh, we should talk about um, and how and what's going to happen to them uh, under what, what things that are going on and and I think the other thing is on flip side not to sort of is also to kind of get angry I think the remainders are a bit too polite you know <laughs> and it, and I think that we need to kind of we almost need a extinction rebellion kind of attitude a bit uh, to make things happen do I have yeah. to dress up as broccoli you do that's unfortunate. I don't wish to do that. <laughs> Maybe a carrot. <laughs> Ian, apart from vaping and uh, reading comic books, obviously, right. is there anything else you have time to do? <laughs> Thank you for reducing my life to those two things. Pretty accurate. <laughs> it's completely accurate. Um, there I is think, also a I lot think of drinking. Those three things: Brexit, vaping, and comic books. I think that's quite enough for anybody. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, okay, so look, I mean, look, with the comics thing, let's put it like basically, because what that really is is, do, do you have a hobby? Which I know sounds like the kind of thing that sort of granddads say to like you know wayward teens, but ultimately it does it does kind of matter. Like, if you have a space where there is something that you care about, and it really doesn't matter what the fuck it is, whether it's trains or gardening or whatever the hell, there just needs to be an area that is separate that you care about and that that is disconnected from your working life, whatever it is, and especially from the political stuff. And I think the most important thing in it isn't just like the enjoyment you get from it. It's the desire to want to know more about it and the pleasure you get from something when you do know more about it in almost any sense, whether it's films you like or whatever. And that is a joy. Like That is one of the primary joys there is in life. It's one of the reasons why whenever anyone says, like, I don't have any hobbies, you're like, well, I fucking don't trust you, mate. Like, you know, no one, no one worth a damn doesn't have hobbies. That's crazy. Trains or gardening? Hobbies. Well, these are other options. That's your solution? These are... <laughs> <laughs> well, any hobby would do. Or you can okay, right, You've got right. cooking. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you would stand up for cooking. I mean, that is a thing of basically just <laughs> finding like a, a room of one's own in one's head that basically is disconnected from this stuff. That, and then also, you know, dimethyltryptamine and a large variety of other psychedelic drugs. <laughs> yeah, personally, I like I like jumping into really cold water, and as the as things get you know, colder, Brexit gets closer, the water gets colder, and now it's like 12 and a half degrees and it's really cold. And you get in, you just can't think about anything except how fucking cold it is. And <laughs> how do I keep warm? So it's almost the opposite of what, what, what Ian was saying, because it's actually, you know, you, 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 your mind just gets emptied, which is very liberating, I find. So huh. that's what I do. Mm. Yeah. Do we, th- do we think the struggle has been, you know, the, 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 has been good for us, really? Uh, has it... All this time we've spent the last few years thinking about Brexit. Has it been good for us, apart from increasing our you know, level of political knowledge? Mike, what do you think? Um, I guess, yeah, we're all a lot more order, order and all of that and everyone's gone <laughs> crazy for parliamentary... Division! It, it's a bit like being, living in a sort of Harry Potter movie where, you know, shall we get the sorting hat? You know, it's a strange strange to have this unwritten constitution and Americans, I know, I go to the US for, for work a, a lot for the tech industry and the, you know, they're kind of like, what is going on over there? <laughs> um, and, you, know, you know, we like Harry Potter, but honestly, you know, this is ridiculous. 
<laughs> the response, the response I got from Americans to the from Americans to the clip I posted of the yeoman picking up the lanterns and going to the basement to look for Guy Fox was hilarious. They were all literally like. What is going on? Is this is this a thing? <laughs> it's, it is strange, isn't it? Totally strange. Our special guest this week is Mike Butcher of Tech for UK, the pro final say campaign group for the tech sector, and formerly an advisor to the government on tech development. Mike, the tech tools you create compare the Brexit, where you compared the May deal to remaining, or final say, where you could send a voice message to MPs. How do those ideas come about? Well, um, back in the day, um, I met Eloise Todd, who was running uh, Best for Britain, and she was the first person I'd met who actually sort of got some of the things that us in, in tech wanted to do. Um, whereas what we could do, we could go away and build something like, you know, engineers in Hackathon, but we wouldn't have had that political kind of input. And mm. what she gave us was that political kind of optics and what we should build. So we, we got together and uh, Best for Britain was very generous and, you know, bought our beers and pizzas and Red Bull. And for <laughs> a few weekends in a row, we built tech tools. We built uh, myeu.uk, which was the first time ever you could put in your postcode and find out what the EU had built around you. Or it mm. turns out lots of convention centres used it <coughs> for the Brexit party. Um, and um, we built heymp.uk, which was a sort of Clapham junction of contacting your MP. You can send a voicemail, print out a post, uh, you name it. Um, and... Um, we, but these are all sort of tools. Um, if you want to, by the way, if you just want to check them out, you can go to brexit.tools on the web and there's a lo- list of all the, the stuff that we've built. Um, and it was, what we really wanted to do was not only say that the tech industry was um, a pro final say um, and wanted to have that you know, said explicitly, but also to build these these things but of course on the flip side of, of it is as well we can build you know a tool that you can put in your salary and find out that the eu costs you less than netflix subscription etc um there's also the social media aspect and that's one of the things that we're trying to concentrate on at the moment as well because social media is just such a powerful uh, influence on, on everything um do you do you think these cut through to levers is that your main aim to get through to levers in what you do um yeah, I think that one of the things we, we found that we, we tended, tended to build tools which were used by other people like MPs to make arguments. Um, so we were taking data and making tools and then other people could use those tools. Um, in terms of levers, I think it, it is problematic because you trying to reach them out, out to them is, is so tough. Mark Zuckerberg has built this uh, strange thing called Facebook where he's effectively built a wall which in, you have to pay in order to reach people, to, to cross the threshold. You know, his, his whole shtick, I remember even seeing him at conferences many years ago in San Francisco uh, saying he just wants people to share. He just wants people to share. And but really, it was only to share, and then if you want to share to people who are not like you, not in your filter bubble, you will have to pay. And that's, what, that's, that's so difficult. Um, what we're doing right now is we're, we're, we're doing a new kind of um, campaign. So we've started a thing called democracy, demanddemocracy.net. Um, over the last few weeks, I've been researching pro-democracy movements in places like Hong Kong, 
um, and other places and you can, looking at the tools that they're using. And they're not using social media. They're using Telegram, which is a messaging application, which is much more powerful than WhatsApp. It means that you can, you can do things which in a much more sort of open way. It's not subject to the same kind of trolling and bots that, that go on in Twitter, etc., um, even crazy things in uh, in Hong Kong, they were doing things like changing your twin Tinder profile against the government. Um, they were you're doing um, uh, you know games where you'd meet up in a park and the police say, "Why are you here? Oh, we're just looking for Pikachu." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of uh, location based games. And and I think to some extent we want to kind of explode that a little bit. So we're doing this demanddemocracy.net. Uh, um, movement now to, to, to try and get the DNA of Telegram into the movement to, to, for activists to, to start experimenting with it and using it. Mm. So you're trying to get beyond Facebook because basically we know what happens on Facebook. You know, the leave yeah. side buys up hundreds and thousands of worth, pounds uh, worth of, of advertising and targets it very specifically. And, you know, you're trying, you're trying to reach a different demographic here, aren't you? We don't use we're Facebook to, anymore. We're trying to get out of Facebook. We're trying to give activists and uh, people who want to, you know, advocate and organise these new tools. It's so hard to organise on social media. I mean, nobody knows. You want to read all those replies? It's ridiculous. But the, the other thing is, is there's some fantastic work going on in the tech community at the moment, uh, an organisation organization called Newspeak House, has put up a, a Newspeak House election handbook, which is like a Wikipedia of election tools. Um, and one of the things that's been referenced there is a thing called Who Targets Me. I think it's whotargets.me. And you can that's a Chrome extension you can put on your browser and it'll show you the ads. It'll t basically harvest the ads that are being shown to you on Facebook. And, that, and they'll get, they're getting interesting data about how targeting is going on on, on, on Facebook. Can we learn anything from Extinction Rebellion? Because I decided this uh, last week or so since um, Extinction Rebellion have uh, upped their protest to follow a number of XR accounts on, on Twitter just to see what they were doing. And they do have uh, a very uh, a very good social media game. Is there anything that um, Remainers can learn from that kind of organisation? Yes, well, um, they have been pioneers in using very large WhatsApp broadcast groups. You can do a thing called a broadcast list on WhatsApp, and they've been doing that, but what they're kind of doing is they're hacking it because you can only do it for about 256 people, so you need about sort of 17 phones or God knows how many. This is why I, I sound like a broken record because I think that Telegram is, is a, has the ability to do this hmm. in a much more scalable way, and I think you know, the UK could really learn a lot from this and, and get onto that. You can use the same kinds of tools, and funnily enough, I've been talking to some Extinction Rebellion people on the tech side, and they are... Uh, using Telegram a lot more as well. Should, so we should all download the Telegram app, should we? We should, yeah, yeah. Go, and go to demo demanddemocracy.net and, and join our group. OK. Uh, I'm sold. No, genuinely. <laughs> so, yeah, download tele Telegram. It's going to be it's a great broadcast facility. It's like getting a newsletter, but immediately on your phone. Um, the march on on Saturday is going to be huge. Everyone knows that our phones will probably go down as yeah. day because yeah. we're all standing around and trying to kind of uh, message each other. Um, I, I want to do a big mass experiment. Uh, that's what we're here at Tech for UK. That's what we like to do, ex tech experiments. Download an app called Bridgeify. Uh, you can, you, you'll be able to get it from um, the Tech for UK. At Tech for UK, we'll tweet it out and we'll m mention it. The Bridgeify app, 
doesn't use mobile networks. It uses Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And it means that you can message people over Wi-Fi and Bluetooth instead of using mobile networks. Let's do a big mass experiment, download Bridgeify on iOS and Android and see if it works on Saturday. OK, how do you spell that? Uh, it's bridge and then F-Y on the end. OK. Bridgeify, yeah. Oh, great, I'll do that. Um, moving on to technology and the economy, because Brexit really should have affected uh, the tech economy now, three years, three and a half years after the vote. What impact has it actually had? It's had a couple of effects. One is that hiring is falling off a cliff. The CTO that you wanted to hire from Poland, for instance, um, they're just not arriving. I was speaking to a recruiter the other day and said that, that hiring is so tough right now. Um, the uh, big tech companies are moving a lot of their operations abroad. They've, you know, put operations in Amsterdam or, or wherever it is in continental Europe, in the EU. Um, small startups are finding it really tough. Um, the the London tech scene, the London tech scene, for instance, which is the strongest in the UK, um, is still pretty buoyant, um, but they're pretty scared. You've got to remember that um, 75% or more of the data flows between the UK and the outside world are with EU countries. So if you, even if you're a small startup uh, uh, trying to, to make your you know app work or whatever, I mean, how on earth are you going to hire all these lawyers um, to deal with these situations of hard Brexit or even withdrawal agreement with so much um, confusion? And no deal uh, would be moment. absolutely toxic to those flows, wouldn't it? Completely it would be, it would be very and utterly... Completely, yeah, utterly toxic, yes. And um, it, it is very underreported that the data that flows between the UK and the outside world is predominantly with the UK, with the EU. You know, we talk about tariffs, we talk about uh, goods, and, goods and services. Data is the lifeblood of the modern economy. So are people in tech resigned to some kind of Brexit now or are they still hoping that we might, we might remain? Or at least stay in the single market? I think that, um, you know, entrepreneurs and certainly tech entrepreneurs are notorious for sort of rooting around the problems and, you know, they'll suddenly, you know, let, right, guys, let, we'll go off to Lisbon or whatever. Um, think that kind of thing is happening. Uh, they, uh, you know, they are sort of mitigating this by, say, you know, putting a uh, putting the HQ in Berlin and then you know, making the UK company a subsidiary and, and moving a lot of their operations outside. Um, but but obviously, you know, we're all on the edge of the cliff, just just like everybody else. I don't think it's uh, it's, it's that different, certainly in the tech community, particularly. Are there any tech Brexiters? I mean, Dominic Cummings is notoriously keen on technological solutions to whatever he perceives our problems to be. Um, but are there people in the tech community who are really pro Brexit whom you met? The vast majority of people in tech are. are for staying in the EU, but yes, there are there is a sort of a libertarian yeah. wing of tech, um, which is sort of Bitcoiners and cryptocurrency. Oh and, God, the cryptocurrency people are all over yeah, Brexit, exactly. aren't they? And it, and it's is it, there's a sort of like Mad Max kind of attitude <laughs> where you know, you let's know, burn it all. Let's you know could we recreate society based on kind of bizarre you know made up. You know, tax havens and God knows what else. And I think there is there is that, yeah, there is that element. You don't hear from them very much, and a lot of them during the campaigns, uh, you know, tried to vote, would say something. But the, 
so many people in tech um, are really for uh, staying in the EU that uh, it was, you know, they, they don't, you don't hear from them much. Not surprised. So at the People's Vote March, you'll be testing out your new tech for this. What else will you be doing? Have you got a banner or are you? We'll be carrying a banner. We've invented our own logo, um, demanddemocracy.net. And uh, we'll also be testing out Bridgeify uh, as an app. As a, and, but the other thing is, I think, going forward, one of the things we want to do, certainly with Tech for UK, is to not just think about Brexit, but going forward in the months and the years to come, we actually would really like to help the UK's democratic systems with technology. Not, by the way, to replace voting with apps or with um, voting machines, which are notoriously easy to hack, but talking about, you know, better information, education, um, really uh, helping people to understand how they can engage with their own, own uh, political system. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, you know, if anything's happened, that's, we've certainly got that DNA now in the tech community. So look out for him on Saturday with his banner. Before we go, you might want to check out our companion podcast, On the House, where MPs Sam Gima and Philip Lee meet friends and political rivals for a pint after Parliament to discuss the events of the week. There's a new episode every Friday and it might help you deal with any Romaniacs cold turkey you're experiencing. Search for On the House on your favourite podcast app and don't forget to subscribe. From the current episode, here's Philip Lee talking to special guest Sarah Lunnan of Extinction Rebellion about the challenge of fitting the climate emergency into conventional day-to-day politics. There's an urgency to change the way in which we are living on Earth, but there is trying to marry that with the political reality on the ground. You would be described as brave if you started to tell people, um, OK, you can't have those burgers at McDonald's or you can't fly planes without increased tax. And I, under- I understand that. One of the things about XR's three demands is the citizens' assembly. The idea that you have a, a group of citizens representing our country, representing the age demographic, the sex demographic, the social demographic, to make decisions that gives government the ability and politicians the ability to unify around what the citizens assemblies ask for. It's the oppositional nature of politics which has got us here both in Brexit and our inability to deal with the climate. the podcast which means the brexit time capsule is materializing out of the mist what things will we need or miss if we leave the eu under boris johnson's non-existent deal mike butcher you're the guest what's going in um i really love the um brexit paraphernalia and and uh memorables and collectibles so i've got a pin (laughs) from you know um, from a called independence day from the last date that we were supposed (laughs) to leave and uh i think in a way there's going to be a sort of netflix series in many years to come which will be a little bit like the man in the high castle with a sort of parallel universe and these these sort of brexit memorabilia will be sort of they're like objects from an alternative reality in a way (laughs) And also, like the man in the high castle, will be extremely tedious and seemingly endless. <laughs> For this week's foreign language clip, here's listener Elizabeth May with a bit of classic Burko from the midst of the prorogation crisis <laughs> in Danish. Hey Stuart, hvis de ikke kan lide det, har de selvfølgelig lov til deres holdning. Men jeg giver ikke en flyvende flamenco for hvad deres holdning er. 
It means, Mr. Stewart, if you don't like it, you are perfectly entitled to your opinion. I don't give a flying flamingo what you think. <laughs> and there's our show. Thanks to Mike Butcher. Where can listeners find all of Tech for UK's anti-Brexit tools? Just remind us. Go to techforuk.com to find out about Tech for UK's activity. And if you want to check out our tools that we've built so far, go to brexit.tools. Thank you. Thanks to Ian and Alex. Looking forward to Saturday? No. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I am. <laughs> Remember, Romaniacs live in Manchester on Saturday, the 2nd of November, with special guest Rob Ford. Now, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop. You can get it as a free download at ampleplay.co.uk and blast it out on the train down to London on Saturday. We shall overcome. Now, here's our thanks to our latest Patreon backers. Hello and thanks from me to Tim Hughes, Michael Welch, Richard Michael Cardmill, Daniel Franklin, Leonard Ehrenfried, Vincent Kwanin Agothvek, Egg Baby Supremacy, Rick Turner, Duncan Sutherland and Beth Jones. Many thanks from me to AMK, Alan Chaplin, Rachel Brooks, Stuart Bowden, MPQ, Gareth Jones, Matthew, Andrew Jorgensen, Jennifer Harris and Ed Hockey. And hello from me to Kevin McCabe, Justin Lovett, Pascal Hartig, Tom Duar, Will Sadler, Russell Haywood, Elaine Williams, Kat Conway, Jonathan Jones and Jeff Adams. We'll see you all next week. Romaniacs was presented by Roz Taylor with Alexandreo and Ian Dunt. The producer is Andrew Harrison. Audio production was by me, Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production.